Amen, amen. Let's thank the Lord this morning. You guys can grab a seat and get a, a, a copy of God's Word in your hands. Um, you guys had no lack of volume today. Well done. Way to lean in. We love to worship the Lord. And uh, uh, my name's Brian Beamant. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Church. Just excited to lead you in a time in God's Word. But before we, before we jump into the sermon, can I just, uh, can I just tell you, like, like, I think we just need to take a few moments and just praise God for what he's doing in the families in this church. Amen. The, the, I don't even know how many kids dedicated this morning um, in both services. A few weeks ago, uh, five students baptized, uh, our student ministry growing. There were 200 kids last weekend in church. 200 kids. Um, Yes, please pray um, your exuberance. I would appreciate both praise to God and some movement towards praying and helping alongside our uh, kind of next generation team, both in children's and students. Um, I, I love to watch how um, God is working in our families. Pray for them, pray for our students, pray for older saints to hear and respond to the call of God to serve the younger generation by discipling them in the faith at home and in church, and, uh, and we're just praying for more <clears throat> people in our church to prayerfully consider serving with our children and with our students, more servant need, leaders needed across the board, and so um, just thankful, thankful for what God is doing in our midst. It is a privilege and honestly a great grace. Um, okay, so <clears throat> this week, um, I am, I'm stirred up, okay, and I know some of you are like, kind of feels like you are every week. And <clears throat> true, um, it's something that comes pretty easily um, to my personality out of my love for Jesus and what he's done in my life. But this week particularly, I am so encouraged by the gospel. And um, I'm thankful for the series. I, I think if I would have predicted the series that would have meant the most to me, and if I would have ranked all four of them, uh, draw near to Christ, know the work of Christ, become like Christ, and live for Christ, I probably would have put know the work of Christ at the bottom. I think it's just know the work of Christ, and <clears throat> we're gonna learn that together. It's gonna be good, and it's important. But man, it has impacted me in some awesome ways that I hope to bring summary to in this. Um, this week, we're gonna kind of be reviewing a bit of what we've learned in this know the work of Christ series in our bigger take AIM series where we're trying to unpack slowly and purposefully the marks of a disciple. And today what I hope will happen as we review is that we would gaze at the glory of the gospel, that we would gaze in the glory of Christ and the glory of God seen in the work of Christ. And that what would happen is not just to, oh man, that's good, or oh, I agree with that, but that we'd hear the current of the Spirit underneath all of the work of Christ, which is an invitation for God's people to be a part of the drama of Christ's work, his continual work, amen? Like, like I want your heart to respond this morning. That's my prayer. And I don't know if you know this, but I have no power to bring that about in your life. Zero power. And honestly, I don't even want your heart to be impacted by, by, by me or, or any persuasion or even in my own zeal for these things. I, my heart is, is that the transformation would come from God alone. 
It wouldn't be dependent on the wisdom of men at all. And I, my prayer in, in leading up to this message has been that I get to a point on the, the work of Christ and the, the knowing it, and I'm like, God, I can't do any more. Like, you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, is gonna have to work on the hearts and the minds of the people when I'm proclaiming the word, and that's what I'm praying, that's what Chris prayed for, and that's what I'm trusting. So get your Bibles open, because we're gonna start in God's word like we should. 1 Corinthians 2 Verses two through five. This passage highlights the importance of growing in your knowledge of the work of Christ. This is Paul, at the very beginning of this letter, he's writing to the church in Corinth. Notice what he says, I'll start back in verse one. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. We're called to know the work of Christ in the gospel. And this morning, I want to give you, as we review together and are led forward through the power of the Spirit, three reasons to never stop growing in your knowledge of the work of Christ. So we can't, we can't end today. We cannot end. This series has to be a catalyst for the future. So the first reason to never stop growing to know the work of Christ is because of the work because the work of Christ sits at the center of the testimony of God. Look, look, look at what Paul said. He said, and when I came to you, I did not come proclaiming with lofty speech or wisdom, but what he did come proclaiming was what? The testimony of God. The testimony of God. This was the, this was the primary purpose of Paul in the missionary journeys. This was the primary purpose of the apostles as they went out from the beginning of the church after the Holy Spirit came and as they started churches everywhere, they, they led out with, here's the testimony of what God has done. Here's the testimony. It's part of the primary purpose of the early church, of really all churches during this season of history. If they're a, a gospel-centered, Christ-centered church, they are proclaiming the testimony of God. And it's the purpose of every individual Christ follower is to proclaim it in word and in deed. It's right there in verse one, the testimony of God. The testimony of God communicates the beauty and the power of the work of Christ. It, it, it invites people to know God and become a part of what God is doing. And like this testimony of God, it's actually, it was so important that even in Jesus you see that he moved so quickly to the testimony of God. I don't know if you remember, but in Luke 24, after Christ's resurrection, there's these two guys on the road to Emmaus. And these two guys are just chilling. They're just walking along, talking to each other. And in this, um, they're, they're talking about uh, Christ's resurrection. Christ comes up on them. They don't notice it's Christ. Talk about a moment later on. They were like, ooh, awkward. Should we have known? Should we not have known? But 
It says in, in, in Luke 24, it's up on the screen, and it says Jesus, when he was walking, it said that Jesus, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. There it is. Like Jesus gave them the testimony of God. If we only had a recording of that, I would be sitting down right now. Just be like, testimony of God, click, play. And I'm sure it was awesome. Because those same disciples said that as he was explaining it to them, their hearts were burning within them. Jesus gave them the testimony of God. See, one of the healthy rhythms that we recommend and we talk a lot about, a lot about in our church is the rhythm of reading God's word. And I think it's so healthy and good to, to read the word. And, but, but for some people, I, I, I think we, we think just opening the word and reading the words is what God wants, but God wants us to read it and it to change and shape us, to study the word, to move through it chapter by chapter and book by book. And this is good. That's a great starting place. But as you grow in your knowledge of the word, the question I have for you is, do you have increasing clarity of the entire testimony? The beauty of it, the power of it. Do you see how the aspects of Christ's work like connect together and, and are fulfillments of what was happening in the Old Testament? Do you, do you understand how the work of Christ sits at the very center of this redemptive message from God, this testimony of God? So this morning, just to help you, because I want to meet you right where you're at, and some of you might have the ability to put a lot of those pieces together, but some of you might just be new in your faith or even, even exploring the faith, and so we gave you this sheet as you came in, and I want you just to, just to look at it for a moment. Because what we wanted to do in this is we wanted to give you a summary of the testimony of God in, in the highest, biggest overview we could. And so if you start on the left, we start in the garden, where God created man and woman in his image and it was good. He had relationship with them. They worshiped him and they had purpose to extend the kingdom of God and, and to grow it. But then in the midst of uh, the, the garden, uh, this thing that, that, that was an act of man, not a, a work of God, but an act of man where they sinned. And then because of that, there was judgment and there was fallenness and there was a sacrifice required to, to clothe them. And then uh, they were actually cast out of the garden. And from then on, it, the redemptive story is to redeem God's people back to the reality of the purity and the goodness and the perfection of the garden. So next we have the temple in the Temple was the centerpiece of God's people meeting. It was the, uh, the place where God was worshiped and were sacrifices, as it says in the Old Testament, again and again and again in the law. The sacrifices were to atone for the sins of the people. The sin had to be covered, and there had to be redemption and reconciliation for God's people to meet with God and to have right relationship with him. And All of this was looking forward to, then, the centerpiece of redemptive history, the cross, where God would come in, in human form and he would sacrifice himself as the perfect sacrifice, and where in that there would be a fulfillment of all of the Old Testament prophecies and predictions and promises were fulfilled perfectly in Christ. In his death and resurrection, he was the final sacrifice and, and now transformation was possible through the elements that you have on your a sheet, these six elements that we reviewed last week. 
substitution, expiation, propitiation, reconciliation, redemption, and victory. And the associated scriptures, the definition of what those are, why, so that you can review them, so that they can become something that you understand more deeply, remember more regularly, and walk in, because at the centerpiece of the redemptive story is Christ and him crucified. And then the church, out of Christ, the work of the Spirit now indwelling God's people. Now, watch, now the followers of Christ in the church age are the temples of the Holy Spirit. Now, because of Christ dying, we have the opportunity, as Paul encourages us in other places in his writings, to be living sacrifices. We get to be alive. We don't get to be sacrifices that are dead. Anybody, anybody happy about that today? Like, I'm pretty stoked. And, um, and so then the purpose, again, is to worship God now in the midst of the local church because we're temples of the Holy Spirit where two or three are gathered, Christ is present because of his work, and now we get to worship God and extend the kingdom of God, all anticipating heaven. The end of all things, when, when the, the final new heavens and new earth will be established at Christ's return and we're made perfect in the presence of God for eternity from the perfection of the garden to the perfection of heaven, all to the left of the cross leading to Christ and him crucified, all to the right an extension of Christ and him crucified, amen? And this is a picture of the work of Christ. It's awesome to think about. Michael Horton said it this way, he said, look at this quote, the Christian faith is first and foremost an unfolding drama. This story that runs from Genesis to Revelation centering on Christ not only richly informs our mind, it captivates the heart and the imagination, animating and motivating our action in the world. There it is, church. There it is. See, when we understand the testimony of God, it's not like, oh, that's a sweet story. It's a story that we're drawn into by faith in Christ. Do you see it? And so now the reality of those things start to actually inform, motivate, and animate our lives. It's a move of God. We know the work of Christ because the work of Christ sits at the center of the testimony of God. Then second this. We know the work of Christ because there is nothing more important to know. Verse two in this passage, Paul writes to the church in Corinth and he says, for I decided, decided, he made a decision. It was a decision that led to a lot of other decisions. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, now, let's, let's clarify what he's saying here. First, he's not saying that you should disregard all other knowledge. That no other subject matter is worth considering at all and just disregard all other knowledge. And for students this morning, this passage does not give you permission to quit all your classes. Okay, you're like, you know what? I'm doing bad at school because all I care about is Christ and him crucified. Don't try to spiritualize your laziness. Not for a second. Paul's not saying that. What he's doing here is what Paul does in other places. He's making a priority statement. He's saying that nothing is more important 
If you're a student or an adult, if, if the work of Christ is, is captivating you to a place where you're like, and I, there's nothing I want to pursue more than that, you got it. Now you're resonating with what Paul's writing here. If there's nothing that's more critical to the testimony of God than the person and work of Christ. There's nothing's more captivating to Paul than, than Christ and him crucified. He's taken by it. Nothing should be pursued with greater passion. If, if Christ and his death sit at the center of God's redemptive story, there is nothing more important to know. We, we looked at the profound benefits of knowing the work of Christ in this series. Let's review together and let's even begin to see how these connect with the testimony of God that we just talked about. First, Christ my creator deserves the highest authority in my life. We talked about how as a result of that we're supposed to stand in the awe of his supremacy, how we're supposed to surrender before his authority and serve in the ministry of reconciliation. That, that the, the, next, the next one is, is Christ, my righteousness, declares my right, my right position before a holy God. And in that message, we looked at how Adam's disobedience creates the need for justification. And Christ's obedience creates the means for justification that it was his sacrifice that allowed us to be justified and then God reconciles the unrighteous by making them righteous. So his righteousness becomes ours. So thankful for how Colin led us in that and then a Christ my redeemer delights in my transformation. He invites you to spiritual blessing. He initiates out of love. He includes you in his family and he immerses you in his transforming grace. Let these truths fall over our heart. There's nothing more important to know. Christ, my victor, displays in me the victory he has already won. Only because of that victory can we then, in, in Christ, my victor, contemplate the stench of your sin, claim your place in Christ's victorious kingdom, and celebrate the triumph. And our your, your heart starts to go, if that's true, this work of Christ, man, there's nothing more important for me to know. It has to be the priority of my life. And, and the heart of what Paul is saying here is this. He's saying, grow in what you know about Christ. Like, grow in it. Grow in it. Let, let all other pursuits become secondary. And, and let, the, let the work of Christ be my primary pursuit and longing. I love how Paul says it and frames it up in Galatians chapter four, verses eight and nine. Look at this on the screen. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? Oh man. 
I don't know about you guys, but there's reading this, it just makes me realize like there's moments I have like you have where, where our minds get distracted by the, by the elementary principles of the world and we find ourselves longing and desiring things that, 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 we, that we get ourselves caught up with and we believe they're important when they're not and our perspective is flawed because we forget about the work of Christ or we're not in sort of active knowledge of the work of Christ. And we find ourselves at this place in, at the end of where sin leads And we go, this is so weak and worthless. One of the most compelling messages I'm hearing from all sorts of different places in the kingdom of God right now is in the midst of our world right now, in this sort of social experiment that you hear playing out and and, and preached from different pulpits. It's not satisfying people. Like, People are looking at it and they're like, well, I don't want the gospel, but they're experiencing this over there that the world has put up as the right good thing and they're like, it's weak and it's worthless. And the church of Jesus Christ should be saying, God, would you revive our hearts for the work of Christ so that we can live in a place where we're known by God and we're not slaves to that any longer and we're turning back away from weak and worthless elementary principles to recognize the glory of the work of Christ. And minimize your time being given to other realities apart from knowing Christ and him crucified. There's so many good things, okay? There's so many good things in our, in our world to enjoy. And I think every good and, and, and right thing that would not be dishonoring to God is even more enjoyable when the priority is knowing Christ and him crucified. My perspective on everything, some things that I enjoy that, that morally aren't outlawed in Scripture or aren't promoted in Scripture, but are just good things. They're even more beautiful when I've prioritized the work of Christ. And so minimize your time given to other realities. Live your life modeled after Christ's sacrifice. Recognize that this is the model of life for the Father of Jesus. Here's the thing that I love uh, that you cannot say about the, the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world is this. The more you know those, the more you recognize that they're weak and worthless. If the end of some of these things is depression and anxiety, then that means people are either worried or depressed by the fact that they're actually weak and worthless. Can we understand that, like plainly? But the beautiful part of the work of Christ is the more you know, the better it gets. The more you know, the better it gets. That's why we have to know the work of Christ because there is nothing more important to know. I want you to see it. I want you to long to know it. The, the, the things represented here are their words, but and they represent something. They're they are as as some would say, pregnant with meaning, bursting with potential and depth, and glory, and goodness. The work of Christ, the work of Christ. Christ and him crucified. So good, and so satisfying. And then finally this, know the work of Christ because true knowledge will secure your faith in God's power. Uh, uh, Paul Paul is really clear here and careful. He says, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. You know, uh, some people have said that 
When you, when you read Paul's writings and you try to understand the person of Paul and you read in all the different places of, of his writings, which are a lot in the New Testament, um, some have suggested that, that, that Paul, by his own declaration, was um, kind of short and maybe just a bit um, like unimpressive in presence even. And some have suggested from passages like this that Paul may have, may have even had a, uh, some sort of speech impediment. At, at this time in the ancient culture, um, what would have happened is, is that oftentimes the, the, the people that garnered the greatest respect were these profound communicators that because of the wisdom that they communicated would have a following of people and they'd be esteemed and respected and even kind of worshiped. And then Paul comes on the scene, he's like, I'm not really that impressive, I'm weak, I'm trembling, but I'm just communicating you the testimony of God. And, and, and notice why. He said, my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Why, why, why? It's there in verse five. So that your faith, the hearer's faith, might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. He's saying here, he's saying, I, I don't want you to, to just get to a place where you have a mental knowledge of the work of Christ. I want the work of Christ to be something that is not just mere mental or academic knowledge, but that it's true biblical knowledge, a true knowing, that, that it's not something that you calculated to arrive at a place where I am now going to live my life according to what Jesus Christ says because I've reasoned that he is true. Instead, it's like, supernaturally the scales have fallen off my eyes and I believe that he is true and I have encountered the living Christ through the work and the power of the spirit and I am captivated by him, I am worshiping him and I will live my life to do whatever he wants me to do. That is the work of God when there's true knowledge and, it, and what it does then is now I'm not going, well, I reason myself here because of that guy and that guy and that guy and that pastor and that friend and that relationship and that person and now I believe in Christ or even that church, or whatever. Instead, you're like, I had an encounter with God, and it's, it's rooted in God's power, my faith is, and my knowledge is. It's rooted there. And the security of my faith is not in, in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Saving faith is more than, than something uh, mental or academic. It is true knowledge. It's an all-consuming knowledge. Let me try to paint the picture a bit more clearly this morning through kind of a fun illustration. This morning, if you know that the Lions are in the NFC Championship, raise your hand. Okay, as I anticipated, a lot of hands. It took a long time to get to this illustration. <laughs> decades of pastors in Michigan haven't been able to do this one. Now, 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 listen, listen. For some of you, that's all you know about the Lions. You just know the fact that they're in the NFC Championship. That's mental knowledge. But some of you have a true or consuming knowledge, right or wrong, 
That's not the purpose of this message. I'll trust that one to the Spirit of God. You have, you've read every article about the Lions game. Like, like, you know the players, you know the matchups, you know the predictions, you know all of it. Uh, uh, Pastor Chris was joking with me that literally, while listening to this message in first service, he got notifications on his phone of some articles about the game today. Okay? So he's in this category, trust me. If, if you have this level of knowledge, like, like you're going to watch hours of pregame, your lion shirt is ready or already on. I see you. I see some of you repping this morning. You, you'll be actively engaged during every play. You're going to be emotionally affected by whether they win or lose. Your knowledge is way more than mental knowledge. Your knowledge is not neutral. It's not neutral. It's not just a fact. The, knowing the Lions are playing in the championship is literally shaping your life. Your knowledge has power. Your faith in the Lions has been secured because they're actually winning and succeeding. And, and, and the highest degree of knowledge is that the, because of the work of the team revealed in their success has produced faith in the team and actions to support them in whatever way you can. But being a fan, as we know, anyone who's been a fan for, of any team knows that that level of true knowledge regarding a team has some profound limitations and weaknesses. The power is limited. The impact is limited. Even if they win today and then go on to win the Super Bowl, that will be fun for many of you who have true knowledge of the Lions. It will be really fun. But the joy will be fleeting. And once that celebration is over and all the confetti's fallen on the field, the next season will come and they're gonna start with zero wins. And there's gonna be terrible seasons of all fan bases the Lions know. There will be seasons that will bring a knowledge that will then bring disappointment and disinterest. And that's why knowing the work of Christ is so much more satisfying, so much more secure, and so much more valuable. Everything else pales in comparison, as enjoyable as it might be for a few fleeting moments. Knowledge of the work of Christ is more important than any other knowledge. There's no better foundation for your life. It cannot be mental knowledge only. Please hear that this morning. The highest degree of knowledge regarding the work of Christ, watch this, is the work of the Holy Spirit to reveal the work of Christ that produces faith in Christ and obedience to God's word. That's because the work of Christ was sufficient and complete. The victory never diminishes or fades. The knowledge was revealed by the power of the Holy Spirit and it only grows and multiplies within you through the work of God to produce more faith and obedience that continually shapes your life, not just in a playoff season. It's never a new season with the work of Christ. It never starts over. It never increases only then to decrease. It actually increases in glory over time. It, the impact deepens and broadens in your life. You can't control the reality and the impact of it. A faith, it's faith resting in the power of God. It's this, it's, it's more than wisdom known, it's power transforming. That's the work of Christ 
in the gospel when you've taken hold of it by faith. This, this week was um, a week. And there are moments in ministry when um, there are certain stories and testimonies of God at work that, like I love to say, you can live off of for quite a while. They can, as I've also said, they can get you out of bed in the morning and give you and stir up your faith. And sometimes I can go months without maybe getting a crystal clear picture of this. And uh, this week I had two testimonies that just floored me. And in light of coming into this message, I was like, I have to share these with our church. And so let me share these. Um, I want your heart to be stirred up like my heart was. First, there's a young man in our church, and as I talked to him this week, he said that he grew up in a Christian household. He said, I always believed in God and Christian morals. He said he strayed away, but he said, I actually, he said, I came back to Christ and to the church through logic. He, he literally looked at the world, kind of like I was talking about today, and was like, the world's principles aren't really helping people. And so he just kind of logically got to this place where he was like, it's gotta be Christ, so I'm just gonna come back and be a part of the church and engage. And, 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 and in this, he, he, a few weeks ago, he told me he was processing his faith in Christ. Mentally. And he told me that suddenly he was overcome by the Holy Spirit. And he said, I had such a clear sense of God's presence. He said, he said this, he, he told me that he went from thinking Jesus is real to believing he is real. He said in that moment it became personal. In his testimony of being before the presence of God, he said that he was overwhelmed. He, he said, I had a sense of being pierced and he said, I started, I started to bawl as, as, I, as I felt gross because of my sin, but he said, but I, but I wasn't condemned. I felt loved. That's the work of Christ. That's the work of Christ. He said he sensed God is all-powerful, and, 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 and he communicated to me, he said, the most important message in this time was that God wants to have a relationship with him. That's, that's not an... That's not just a, a mental knowledge. That's a true biblical knowledge. Awesome work to hear his anticipation for what God has for him and to talk through that with him. Then second, the older woman in our church, she told me this at the beginning. She said, I have spent time since a child chasing the hem of Jesus' robe in a church denomination that did not turn people to the word of God. She said, I learned from the church, always trying to understand things, going through the motions, experience some depth, but always hungry for more. Here's what she said. She said, since being around our church and the people of our church particularly, and being encouraged to read God's word for herself, she said that her vision of God has gone from black and white to color. She said it's, it's, gone, it's gone from 2D to 3D. 
She said her soul is being filled by reading the word and seeing the glory of God reflected in how other people love her. She said this, and I quote, as I started to read the word, I could not get enough. I'm reading four to five hours a day. Here's what she said. Here's the reason why. She said she's not doing that because she feels some obligation or some, some law over her that, oh, I've got to read the Bible more and more just to approve. It's opposite of that. It's the work of Christ. She said she feels like she's catching up for many years of eating the wrong stuff and now tasting the right stuff that's healthy for her soul. She mentioned that it has to be more than reading. She said, I'm, I'm taking time in the midst of that to pray and meditate. She told me that she didn't know she had spaces this deep for the word to go. And I said, yes, and there's more than you even know now. All kinds of things she said are being rearranged in her life. And I'm like, I'm sure. She said she feels like a light, she feels a lightness and a spaciousness in her heart and soul like never before. These two testimonies, like so many others in our church that could be shared, are a picture of faith resting in the power of God. True knowledge will secure your faith in God's power. Know the glory of God in the face of Christ. Feel the searing conviction of your sin, drawn near by the love of Christ, forgiven by the blood of Christ, reconciled, restored, and redeemed through relationship with God, causing all of your life to be transformed, both vertically in your relationship with God and horizontally with others. The best part, it's available to all. That's the work of Christ. Not just to the religious, not just to the ones who have known God from a young age, but anyone who would put their faith in Christ can experience this knowledge. My prayer for you is that God would lead you from a basic knowledge that does not transform to a growing biblical knowledge that is being transformed and will continue to transform your heart and life. So my prayer, our prayer this morning needs to be for us to receive a knowledge from the work of the Spirit of God that leads to a convicting revelation of my sinfulness and the powerful work of Christ to redeem, reconcile, and restore. But the Spirit has to do this. And so I want to take a few moments at the end of this service just to give you some space and time to pray. And so you might just need to close maybe the place you've been taking notes or your Bible. And, and I just want you to just to bow your heads where you're at or if you want to, um, you know, kneel or come before God. And I want you to begin to pray that God would give you a fresh revelation, a, a, a working, consuming knowledge of the work of Christ not just an ability to fill in the blanks on a theology quiz, but an actual encounter with the work of God that would be transformative to your heart and life, that would lead to worship and a desire to extend the kingdom of God in all ways through your life. So just right now, begin to pray and ask God for that in your life in the way that you know you need it. God, come in the power of your spirit now, please. Meet us as we seek you.
God, I'm asking you in the power of your spirit, would you come? I'm pleading, God, would you come? Would you give us in this day surrounded by the evidences of the weak and worthless principles of this world, would you give us a sense of hope and joy and security and confidence in the work of Christ? Would you give us, God, not just an understanding of it, but would you uh, let it capture our hearts and our minds? Would you rend our hearts in your presence? Would Would your spirit both convict us of sin and let us rejoice in the fact that we are not condemned any longer because of what Christ has accomplished? That in our confession of our sin, we're actually brought near. God, give your people a vision this morning of of their state before you because of your sacrifice, because of your death on the cross. Would the sweetness of that connect with the dryness and the brokenness of our souls in regards to sin, sin committed or sin done to us? Would we see the freedom that you, have, that you have literally broken the chains that could bind us and they're laying at our feet and would you let us see you beckoning us for us to leave the prison of the realities of this world and step into the work and the presence and the relationship of God? And would you stir our hearts in worship? And would you affect our, 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 our minds and our wills in such a way that we would delight in being obedient to you? We would want it with all of our hearts, with all of our affections. I don't care, God, when you and how you want to do it, but I'm asking, pleading for you to do it in the lives of the people of this church. And anywhere, God, you need it, To start, I'm open, God. If there's places you need to do it in me, do it in me. If there's places you need to do it in our leadership team, do it, God. Come. Let nothing be held back. No greater thing to pursue and to know than the work of Christ. And we declare that. We announce our confidence in that this morning. Let this lead us. It is the path to revival, and for that we're begging that you would do even begin now. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.